Thank you guys for leading us in worship. If we could let them know how much we appreciate them one more time. This room's full today. I think we're here to pray about baseball or something. I, I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark because we are going through the Gospel of Mark. And as you turn there, I just want you to know I was really encouraged as we spent time in worship through song this morning as I looked around the room. Because we're a pretty diverse body with unique thoughts and lots of times we see things differently. But, but it means a lot when people from these various backgrounds unite around this truth that we see presented about the crucified, resurrected Jesus. And, and over and over, Jared, as he chooses songs, brings us to that truth. This, this, this king would come for us, and if we have him, then we don't need anything else. Because when you have this king, you're given this king's community. You're given this king's Relationship. You're, you're given what God would have for us to be, that we've been brought together as God's people and made part of God's kingdom. That we are kingdom people with kingdom vision and kingdom focus, and there will be times in my own personal kingdom where I want to fight against that, but we're united as a body around the truths of who Jesus is. So if you've got your Bible, we're in Mark chapter 1, picking up in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, well, let's go to the neighboring villages and see, so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. He went into all of Galilee. He's preaching in their synagogues and he was driving out demons. And then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees, he begged him, if you're willing, Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. I'm willing, he told you. He told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left the man and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and he began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in a deserted place, in the deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. The goal of Mark and every gospel is to persuade us to completely follow Jesus. 
because he is the true and he is the promised king of, of all that there is. That he's the promised king of the world. Whenever we see the story of Jesus, we know that he comes from uh, Jewish descent through the line and the lineage of David. And if you, are very, if you are at all familiar with that story, you know that initially Israel does not have a king. God does not want them to have a king. They want, God says, I will be your king. I will be your leader. The people revolt. They say no, so he, they, he gives them Saul. Israel is its own kingdom, and having kings does not seem to work really well for them uh, in the long term, just like God said. Over and over in the history of the people of Israel, we see them overtaken by various other governments. They're taken out by Assyria. If you uh, were here with us through our series on Jonah, you are familiar just a tad bit with what was taking place when they were overthrown by Assyria. Assyria is then taken out by Babylon. Medes and the Persians, they overthrow Babylon. Alexander the Great comes along. There's a Jewish revolt. And we get what is called the, the days of the Maccabees, where a, uh, a man... Uh, called the hammer was reigning and ruling in Israel. But that's a short time. Eventually, Rome comes in. Because during this revolt, the, as the Jewish people are their own kings, there are people who are buying and selling uh, things within the temple. They're, they're buying places in the priesthood. Rome overthrows Jerusalem. They're appointed this puppet king, Herod. You'll reign, you'll rule over these people. And into this world, we see Mark, and we see John, and we see Matthew, and we see Luke begin to explain to us who this Jesus actually is. That there is an actual king that has been given to all the people of the world, this people in particular. And for us as followers of Jesus to be united and alive in his kingdom... Something needs to take place because of what sin is and how sin has infected, affected, and undone each and every one of us. For you and I to be united with Jesus and alive in his kingdom, he has to take our isolation and our death upon himself. So we read into this passage very early in the morning while it's still dark. If you're unfamiliar, if you weren't here last week, there are numerous things that you could do to familiarize with yourself with the passage. You could read your Bible. You could go back and listen to last week's sermon. You, you could do whatever you choose to do. You could listen to a better sermon than mine. And as you are interacting with these truths, you'll notice what takes place. Jesus has done some very unique things in Mark chapter 1. He's driven out a demon from a demon-possessed man. Jesus has done these various things, and the people are responding to Jesus. After he has driven out the demon-possessed man, the big thing we talked about last week, he goes to a very small place. He goes to the home of Peter and his mother-in-law, and he makes her well, makes her so well, she gets up and fixes Passover meal. Jesus is making sure that everyone is cared for. And in so doing, when the sun sets, you look out and there is this horde of people waiting to hear from him, waiting to interact with Jesus. They want their demons to be cast out. They want their sicknesses to be made well. They want everything to be made better.
after Jesus has done these things. This is early the next morning. More than likely we're talking between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning when the rest of us aren't even Christians. Jesus gets up while it's still dark. And he got up and he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. That same word that we see for deserted place in this passage has been used two times already in this passage. The idea of the far away place. It's the word that we see where when John is preaching in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. It's the same word that we see used by, to talk about Jesus when he is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Jesus goes out to the deserted place. And while he's there, he's praying. Prayer. What a unique thing for believers in Jesus to consider about Jesus. That God is talking to God. That Jesus has this unique relationship with God the Father and he is communing with him. In order to do the things that he does, this conversation is to be there. It's part of it. God talking to God. God the Son talking to God the Father about all that has taken place and all that's going on. And he's processing, we would imagine, everything that has just taken place in the home of Peter, what has taken place in the synagogue. While he's there praying, they found him. And they said to Jesus, hey, everybody, everybody, all of them, they're looking for you. Why would they be looking for Jesus? Because he's just cast out a demon and healed an old lady. Jesus, everyone is after you. Everyone wants to follow you. You would think if you are a disciple of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, I mean, not Matthew, not, when you begin to look at the disciples in the Bible... You begin to notice that that Peter and his brother, that James and John, that as they consider the idea of what it means to have a Messiah, it's very much tied to to an overthrow of Rome because we need a king. And for us to have a king, this king has to build his numbers. And Jesus, you have just hit the jackpot in Capernaum. You did things no one can do. You said things that no one has said. You spoke as one who had authority. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. If we have ever had a time to build an army to overthrow Rome, it's right now. Our progress is tied to numbers. Everything is based on numbers. It's easy to be attracted to Jesus for the wrong reasons. It's easy for us to look at what takes place with all that Jesus does in the New Testament and think, that's what I want. It's easy to look and see people asking God to do things for the sake of that thing being done and not to see the one working who's there. Just a moment of transparency. I've shared before, my mother passed away with cancer when I was 16 years old. My dad, possibly by the grace of God, may have had a relationship with Jesus. Only by the grace of God. And I can remember a well-meaning family member sharing the gospel with my dad on my porch. And I can... A visual of seeing my dad kneel down to pray a prayer days before my mother passed away. Would you just heal her? Would you make her better? That's what he really wanted. At least in that moment... Jesus did not come to assemble a crowd 
he regularly pushes against it in these passages. We see our heart to assemble the crowd. Jesus goes to the corners where nothing and no one seems to matter. Clustering Christianity is a very interesting thing. I've been on staffs at churches before and, and you could buy new movers packages where you would... You could purchase the addresses of people who have just moved to your community. And the reason that you can purchase those is so that you can send promotional material to people who are looking for churches and they will inevitably, hopefully, find your church. What I've come to find out about church people is when they move somewhere, they're more than likely going to find a church. The people who don't find churches are the unchurched people. We like to cluster around. People come, people go. We know this very much in our community. How many outcasts are we overlooking? Because they're difficult. How many faraway people are we choosing to ignore because they're, they're too much, they're too far gone, they're, they're so remote, we want nothing to do with the difficulty of interacting with someone who may not share our beliefs, who may see God differently than we see God, who may be a hard, long conversation, who may be a difficult relationship. Jesus seems to go to those people. Jesus is out in the deserted place in verse 39. He went into all of Galilee. He was preaching in their synagogues. He's driving out demons. He is doing Jesus stuff as much as Jesus stuff could be done. They loved Jesus. Give me a J, J, you've got your J. Give me an Jesus, Jesus, you've got your Jesus. When I say Jesus, you say Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. They love Jesus. But on the outskirts, there's a man who's not allowed to gather together when everyone else is gathered together. He's the dirtiest of the dirty. He's actually filthy. He, we may even use the word gross, and the word gross is very much practical, at least in this situation. The leper was never allowed to be around anyone. A man with leprosy came to him, and he fell on his knees, and he begged him, If you're willing, can you just make me clean? I think we read through words on the page and we miss the, the weight and the emotion of what's more than likely being there, there is, if this is you, if this is me, just begging God to do a God thing, asking Jesus to do a Jesus thing on his knees. God, just please, please fix this. I can't fix this. I've never been able to fix this. Since I was diagnosed with this leopard, I can't do anything about it. Can you please fix this? For lepers, there were numerous things that you would see. They would have numb patches of skin. Over the course of time, that would cause nasal deformity to the point that they could lose nasal structure. Parts of their face would just cease to work the way they're supposed to work. You would carry it three to five years before you even had a symptom at this point in history. It's transmitted by nasal droplets and possibly broken skin. 
Sadly, armadillos carry leprosy. There are some at the walking trail by the college, so avoid them. And you would lose body parts. When all of these things would take place, you would be quarantined from the entirety of society. They don't want you near people for the stigma of what your presence could cause. If a leper were to touch any of your things, you would burn those things. Due to the damage and the diagnosis, you you could see a leper. You couldn't just see the leper because the way their skin was leaving them, you could smell the leper. If you were to be brave enough to touch the leper, which you would not be, you would feel the leprosy, like scales. You could hear him because the leprosy doesn't just damage. When it begins to damage your nasal cavity, it damages your voice. It damages everything inside of you. So you could see him, you could smell him. If you reached out to touch him, you could touch him. You could hear him. One commentator points out that the smell was so bad that if you got close enough... You could taste him. This man can't go where Jesus is healing people and casting out demons. If he were to come into an area, he has to cover his face. He he had to choose to be visually different apart from his physical difference. He had to grow his beard out. He had to look unacceptable. He had to cover his face. He had to yell unclean when he walked into your presence. The treatment for leprosy was pretty terrible. The first thing was you would pray and hope that you got right with God. If that did not work for you, and that's every religion in the world, pray, maybe, just maybe, God will fix it. If that didn't work, you would get blood Blood, preferred blood of a virgin or a young child. I don't know how you commandeered that, but but you would get that and you would cover the leprosy with that. Eventually, they realized how barbaric that was. They shifted to animal blood. Pliny the Elder, who has all these weird remedies in the Bible, he's like WebMD for weirdos. One thing that he would offer for any type of leprosy was snake venom, preferably cobra. If you can't find a, a cobra... You would get a poisonous frog or a climbing fish. I don't even know how fish climb, but that's a thing. If none of those things worked, they would have you stung by bees. To deal with your deformity, they would allow bees to sting you. And these remedies were used until around 1790. Scarification was another remedy, probably because they would cut people and they would put arsenic in the place of the wounds. When you were branded a leper, you took the posture of a mourner. You were always in grief. You were always in a terrible place. Jesus is out in the wilderness, alone, and he's isolated. He has been doing the work of casting out demons, and this man comes upon him. This is the biggest test of date, you would imagine. Leprosy was a big, big deal. This leper was cut off from God's covenant people. He had no hope. He was outside of the hope of God. He had no relationship with others. He had no relationship with God. He was without any of that. He lived, hear this, he lived the leper. And she lived the leper. As an outcast dead person. 
Verse 30, 30. Verse 41. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand. And he touched him. Nobody touches lepers. Nobody touches the broken, the shattered, and the outcast. Nobody wants to be around these people. He touched him. Be made clean. I'm willing. The word compassion there, moved with compassion, it can also mean indignant. So we're not exactly sure as to how the word wicka wicka breaks down for us. Either way works. Mercy, compassion, grace, all there. Indignant at the idea that we are in a broken world because of sin and it's caused this. I'm willing. I'm willing. I can, I can do this. This leper's whole appearance would have been repulsive. Whenever they're around people, they make you feel disgust, not compassion. What do you mean you're merciful toward a leper? I mean, Jesus, I know you dealt with the demons, but this is a leper. Luke says about the man, he's full of leprosy. The disease is in its advanced stages. This man's whole body was rotting. And when your whole body is rotting, your whole life is rotting. Verse 42 immediately that's our word straightway the leprosy left him and he made him clean then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once telling him see what you say, that you say nothing to anyone now there's lots of, of like fights about what's happening here because whenever Jesus would say, don't do this, they would do that. And if you would think, that's dumb, why don't they listen to Jesus? We need to look at our own lives. Jesus gives this direction because he's got no desire to be a magic man. That's not his point. That's not his goal. His goal is to be the king of everything. For people to see that this broken, shattered body of Jesus is their eternal hope. When you're amazing, you could care less about people thinking you're amazing. The contemporary false messiahs of the day, they would do stuff with the intent of drawing a crowd. Jesus is intentionally moving away from the crowds. They would make money by doing this. Jesus didn't need their stuff. He owns the cattle on every hill. That's the rumor. But Jesus does give him one direction that I don't want us to miss. Why don't you go and, and show yourself to the priest... And offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. This healing, the idea of the healing of a leper, is the only one that requires some kind of witness at this point in history. Because the leper cannot fully be restored to full functioning place in the society of Judaism apart from the priest saying he is clean. If he doesn't go to the priest and everyone he interacts with, hey man, weren't you a leper? Did that stuff calm down? Did you get Neosporin? What ointment are you working with? The priest has to declare that you're clean. 
One commentator says this, the elements used in the Levitical ceremony for the cleansing of a leper, cedar, wood, hyssop, and scarlet, are the same elements in use, that are used in cleansing someone who was defiled by a dead body. They treated a leper as if he were dead. The rules they're given from Leviticus 13 and 14, just treat that body like it's dead. There are... The problem is, there's no one that's ever cured a leper. No one comes to the priest to say, Hey, I was a leper, but I'm not a leper anymore. And since lepers were never healed, these priests had never conducted this ceremony. So we can talk about the secret of Mark, and I believe this very valid, it's a hugely valid conversation. But Jesus isn't keeping his secret from everyone because he knows this guy's going to the priest. And these priests who've been saying that they're pointing to Yahweh the entirety of their lives, they're going to see and they're going to know the only one that can do this is a Messiah. Who's the Messiah? They had to look up from the procedure and their little ceremony and they had to carry it out for the first time and they're asking, hey, if this is happening, Messiah's here. But this guy went out and he began to proclaim loudly and to spread the good news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. His disobedience to Jesus caused a mess. Because Jesus can't go anywhere anymore. Jesus can't declare himself in the places, at least according to what we read Mark telling us here. And we have Jesus who is out in the deserted places. But they're still coming to him from everywhere. There is a unique exchange taking place in this passage. You have a leper covered and marred by the brokenness of being in a sinful world. He interacts with Jesus and Jesus takes his place going to the deserted place. So this leper can belong again. This leper who could not be touched was touched by Jesus. The scriptures scream of this idea. This is foreshadowing of the idea of what we shared last week, that he became sin who knew no sin. That Jesus would take this upon himself. There was a legend that it was easier to raise the dead than it was to heal a leper. Second Kings points to that in chapter 5. It alludes to the similarity of the two feet. This leper is a dead man walking. Resurrection's easier than this. The idea of walking with death. We look in Romans chapter 7 and we see Paul talk to us about walking with death. What it means that someone would carry death. He, he, he says this, What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Talking about the sin that he could not shake. The sin that he could not overthrow on his own. The, the weight, the burden of carrying his own sin. But, but Paul's not just talking about symbolically or philosophically for us. He's referencing a Roman torture device. One of the ways that they would execute prisoners was... was, um, Crucifixion is horrific, and we know that. We've had lots of conversations about crucifixion. But one way that they would torture and punish prisoners to the point of death is they would tie a dead body to them. 
And it's a long death. Because all of the bacteria and all of the disgust of carrying the dead body would eventually be transferred to you and your death would come slowly. Tie a dead body to a person and have them live their lives slowly, methodically. Their death becomes your death. Paul talks about what sin is and how he's carrying sin and he's talking about this intertwined idea of sin and death and what that means. Resurrection offers to overthrow the fact that we are dead men and dead women walking. And Paul was allude to that as well when he says in the very next verse, as he asked himself, who can overcome this body of death? His answer is this and only this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law, not serving the law, but God, but with my flesh, the law and sin, thanks be to Jesus. Because Jesus is the King. Jesus is the promised Messiah from old that God has told His people about forever who can undo leprosy and undo death and undo sin. That's who this Jesus happens to be. And John will say of him in chapter 19, after this I heard a loud, I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and they're righteous. We're talking king language. Because he, was, he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on his hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah! A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude saying, Like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah! Because our Lord God the Almighty, he reigns forever. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give glory to Him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. She was given finally into where bright and pure. This Messiah that we see meagerly and humbly walking in the midst of demon-possessed people who are as if they are dead is the reigning King of all. And he chooses to meet with us in those dark, desolate corners. Carrying our death so that we can have his life. So the next time that I think that person is too far gone, I pray that my heart repents. And I pray the same for each and every one of us. Because he's either king or we're missing it. I think the whole of the Bible tells me he's king. So I hope I live surrendered to that. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to pray for us this morning. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner as always.
I love I love this family like I shared earlier and I believe that you believe in Jesus. And interactions with this Jesus are to be invasive into our relationships. Because there's nothing that he does not claim as his. So let's look for every opportunity to be the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. Father, we trust you. Jesus, we meet with you, our King. The true King of all of the universe. And Lord, would we be people who say hallelujah because we believe you've undone it all. You've defeated it all. You've given hope in the face of it all. Would we see good news opportunities to declare that you are the resurrected King of all? who has undone death and and removed hell from our future. Because if we are in you, Jesus, we have the hope of the world. Would we be heralds and messengers of this good news? Lord, for those who are believers in Jesus, will we turn to you, trust you, hold fast to you, cling to you daily to be what you've called us to be, to interact the way you've called us to interact? Lord, will we simply not take you for granted because you're valuable? So, Lord, thank you for offering to be our crucified, resurrected King who deals with death and gives us hope in its place. We ask this in your name.